And our reading of God's Word is 1 Corinthians 12, and we read verses 12 to 26. Hear God's Word. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized, and I prefer with one spirit to buy, with one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Holy Spirit to drink. Now the body is made up of, uh, is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Let us pray. Lord, would you open our eyes, and not just our eyes, but our hearts and our minds this morning, that we may hear your truth and respond to it. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Perhaps, certainly for me, the most meaningful description of the church is that it is the body of Christ. But it seems that in many places the life has gone out of the body. And for some it's become a collection of bizarre body parts disconnected from one another and lying in disarray. Ray Stedman has written this, and I quote, in the early church, All Christians were intimately and actively involved in the vibrant life of the body. Their witness to unbelievers, coupled with their deep love for each other, rocked the Roman world. They turned the world upside down. Why? Because they loved Jesus and they loved one another with such a passion and such a dedication that people looked at the Christians and said, see these Christians, how they love one another, and people wanted to become part of that body of Christ. Bill Hybels, the Willow Creek pastor, put it this way, the local church is the hope of the world. And we have heard Keith praying with 
emotion and concern for migrants and those who are suffering persecution uh, and all kinds of suffering. And we need to understand that when Bill Heibel says the local church is the hope of the world, it is not a simplistic, naive understanding of what it is to be church, but it is a clarion call to each one of us to say that we are the body of Christ in Orangefield. We are the hope of the world. We cannot be that hope on our own because it is all about Jesus and it's all about all of God's people everywhere being the body of Christ, living as the body of Christ. But in these verses that we have read from 1 Corinthians 12, there's three things that Paul reminds us of, and then I, I want to move on to something else. The first thing is that we need one another. Verses 14 and 15 and 21. The body is not made up of one part but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And then moving on to uh, verse 21. On the contrary, uh, if the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Paul's description of the body reminds us that because of the way all the parts of the body work together, no part of it can say to one another, I don't need you. The fact is that without all its constituent parts, the body is diminished. To continue Paul's analogy, just because you can't see parts of the body because maybe of modesty concerns, it doesn't mean that those parts of the body are unimportant or unnecessary. For example, who sees who puts the flowers on the table for Sunday? Who sees who distributes the flowers to those in our congregation who are maybe going through bereavement or some kind of situation? People don't see always the things that we do, and that does not mean that those things are unimportant or unnecessary. All those things, says Paul, is an indicator that we need one another. This morning we have sought to commission all of our leaders and helpers and volunteers along with the staff in Orangefield. Something I used to do a good number of years ago, and I guess for a variety of reasons I didn't go into, it fell into abeyance. But what we were saying this morning, in effect, was that we need one another. It's a great privilege to be your minister, and over the years I've also had the privilege of working with many fine members of staff. But I will say to them, as I say to many people, volunteers are the lifeblood of the church and of its mission. Did you notice how many people put up their hands to say they do at least two jobs? And how many people put up their hands to say they do more than two jobs? Some of you who are doing more than two jobs may need to cut back. And some of us who are doing no jobs may need to pick up the slack. And another group that I may have forgotten this morning were fellowship leaders. Anybody else I forgot to mention, please let me know. But we need one another because without you... This church body becomes spiritually disabled and the more of you who are missing and the more of you who are not actively participating in the life of the body, the more dysfunctional the body becomes. We need one another. 
because the body won't work properly unless all its parts are working together. And the second thing we learn from this is that no one is unimportant. Verses 22 to 25. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, whilst our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and given greater honor to those parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body and its parts would have equal concern for each other. Equal concern for each other. There's a tendency in the Christian church to venerate the superstars of the Christian world. We think that so-and-so's church up the road or down the road is better than our church because they've got more people. We think that the pastor of a 50,000-member church is better than the pastor of a small church of 50 people. And did you listen to that letter from Church of Scotland minister? One young person in 17 years from his church going overseas. And I can't, I'm not going to do the maths, but if we had 40 every year over 17 years, just think what that means. And yet, we are tempted to think that our church is better than somebody else's because of numbers or activities or whatever it is that we can do that others cannot do. Everybody is important to the Lord and to the church. And the truth is, as Paul says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So do you feel weak? Weak in your faith, weak in your service, weak in your commitment to Jesus. Do you feel that you're really not one of those people, like the upfront people and all the folks that are involved or standing, but God comes to you this morning and says, if you are weak, you're indispensable to the church. And thirdly, I think we need to have this motto of the musketeers, all for one and one for all. Alexander Dumas's characters in the Three Musketeers uh, surely could give us that motto for the church, all for one and one for all. I think in order to make that real, we need to push ourselves out of our comfort zones. We need to make sure that we get to know each other beyond our little tiny groups. We need to reach out to others in the church we don't yet know, to build a fellowship of people who care for one another rather than leaving it to others to do. And there's a danger in a church like this that people who sit up in the galleries don't know who sits downstairs and downstairs don't know who sits upstairs and this side don't know that side and the front don't know the back and the back don't know the front and all the rest of it. And if you sit up in the gallery, please be assured, I really can't see you. I can't see beyond the, the, the kind of sound desk because of my eyesight. So I haven't a clue sometimes who's sitting upstairs uh, or even beyond the sixth or eighth row. But maybe we need to make an effort just to get to know each other over a cup of tea in the cafe, over whatever it might be around the settees, get to know each other because it's all for one and one for all in order that we might be the body of Christ. But what does this mean for us? I want to maybe take us beyond these words of 1 Corinthians 12 to say a number of things very 
briefly, I hope, but I want to suggest five things. Number one, we're called to promote truth and unity in the body. Paul speaks here about the body working together so that there should be no division. And we have to work hard whenever people hurt us. Look, this is a human church. It is a church full of sinners. There will be people in this church who will hurt you, will say things to you that they shouldn't say. They will do things they shouldn't do. We are sinful human beings. We're no different from any other church. But when we're hurt, we need to bring that to God. We need to learn to forgive as we are forgiven people. We need to learn to give mercy as we have received mercy. We need to give love as we have received love and grace if we have received grace. And we're called to promote not only the unity of the church but the truth of the church. Ephesians 4 and verse 25, we read this. Uh, Therefore, each of you, must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of the one body, called to live in unity and in truth. I think also we need to remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 17. These, to me, are amongst the most challenging words in Scripture. And Jesus says in that great prayer for the church in John 17, 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Jesus says to his Father, I have given the church the glory that you have given me. Where is the glory of God in the church? And we can seem so full of our own self-centered ideas and likes and dislikes and petty kind of ideas. Where's the glory of God in the church? Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Wow! This is the prayer of Jesus for us. That we may be one as Jesus, the Son of God, is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity and our truth are important because that's what we're called to do for the church. And secondly, we're called to service. We are called to serve. And it's not just a matter of those standing up or who didn't stand up in church this morning. Whatever you do tomorrow when you go to work or when you are around the home or you're a student or whatever, you're called to be a servant of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11 is a big, big passage. We'll not read those verses, but if you look at them, you discover that Paul describes the church as a charismatic community. You know, people say to me, is your church charismatic or non-charismatic or whatever? And I say, I don't really care. For the whole church of Jesus Christ, from the most reformed anti-gifts of the Spirit congregation to the most charismatic swinging from the lampshades church, Every church is a charismatic community. Why? Because the charisma, the gifts of God's Holy Spirit, are given to the whole body as he, the Holy Spirit, decides. So some of you might have a gift of administration. And some of you might have a gift of teaching. And some of you might have a gift of tongues. And some of you might have a gift of whatever. 
But we're called to serve God with the gifts that God gives us by his Holy Spirit. And if you need something like shape for ministry to help you understand your gifts and to discover how and where you can serve the Lord, by all means, uh, respond when that is advertised. The third thing I think we want to note is this. We're all called to witness. Matthew 5 and verse 16. Uh, This, again, is the, the word of Jesus. And he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus says, you're called to be a light to others. And Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. These words that I've uh, referred to recently, and I'm happy to refer to them again. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're called to be witnesses. Somebody said to me a little while ago, and it has stayed with me, and I think there's a lot of truth in it. He said he felt that orange feels a bit much like people who are looking all the time in a mirror. Uh, and when you look in the mirror, and I don't actually have to look very long in the mirror to discover all the spots and the blemishes and the wrinkles and the, the, the bad things. We, we, we look in the mirror and all we begin to see when we look too much in the mirror is more and more of the problems and the difficulties and the spots and the wrinkles. But we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be those who will be ambassadors of Christ to the world. We're called to be those who will go out and because of the love of Jesus in our hearts and because of our passion for him and our love for one another, we are called to be witnesses as ambassadors for Christ who will say to others, be reconciled to God through Christ. Alpha is coming up. How many of you have seriously considered inviting a non-Christian neighbor or friend to a non-threatening, open discussion about Christian faith in Alpha. How many of you have the love for a non-Christian friend or neighbor or a family member that says, I am prepared to go with you every night to the 10 weeks of the Alpha course or many weeks it goes? Called to be witnesses And we're called to be worshippers. So much I could say in this. I'm just going to read uh, two verses from Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. And if you go on, it talks about making music on the ten-string lyre and melody in our hearts and singing for joy at the work of God's hands. We are called to be worshippers because that is why we were created Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Dare I say something? Sometimes when I look at Presbyterians worshipping, I think enjoyment of God's the last thing in their minds. I'm not a great one for sticking my hands up. I, I, I worship God from... The diaphragm, I was taught to sing as a, a young guy and taught to train breathing from the diaphragm. And for me, worship comes from the diaphragm out through my mouth. I'm not a great one for raising hands. But some of our young people say to me, oh, we don't have freedom in Orangefield. And I say, why not? It's not my fault. 
I have to be true to myself, and you know, sometimes I will lift my hands and all the rest of it, but you know, we need freedom in worship. And if you don't enjoy a relationship with God, come for prayer ministry, which is available this morning and every morning. If you don't enjoy a relationship with God, start reading your Bible more. Come and talk to me. When we worship, can we just lift our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our souls to God and abandon praise and freedom? So if, if some of you want to, I don't know, if some of you want to swing from the chandeliers, feel free. We'll talk about the health and safety aspects afterwards. And very finally and very briefly, because there's so much that could be said, we are called to love one another. First John 4 and verse 11, uh, and these amazing words. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Dare I say this? There's times when I've not felt love for others in this church. And there's times when I've felt that this church doesn't love me. Oh, poor soul. I think we all go through periods like that. I want to tell you something that was for me the most significant, most humbling, most uplifting, most incredible night of my life ever. The last night of jam, the phone goes at home, the landline. And uh, you get a call 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, you think somebody's coped over. Uh, and uh, you don't answer the phone with great alacrity. And, you know. So the phone goes last Saturday night in jam, 10 p.m., and it's our youth worker. She's a great troubler, by the way. And she said, Ken, the young people would like to pray for you. I said, hmm, match of the day was just about to come on. I mean, really, match of the day was about to come on. And because it was our youth worker and because it was our young people, I said, that's fine, get my shoes on, come round. It's a handy thing now to live 166 yards from the front door of the church. <laughs> and they came round, I stood down there, and I was surrounded by, I think, up to 90 of our young people and leaders in this church. And I would have loved to have kept, I should have opened my eyes. I, I really couldn't make out who was praying what. And people were saying all sorts of things that humbled me and amazed me. Lord, Ken saw when I was hurting. Ken's been a role model for me. Ken has preached your word. Ken has helped me. I felt so, so humbled. And I felt love from our young people. And I wish that every single one of you would feel that love in this church. And I wish that adults would learn from the young. So uninhibited, so passionate, so desiring to honor God. Love one another as I have loved you. If we want to be the body of Christ, we are to be one body, worshiping one Lord with one faith, one church.